0: Well, hello there, and welcome to another edition of Servant's Heart Chapel. I hope uh, this particular episode is a special blessing to you. So let's get right to it. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your singing today. Participation in singing and prayer. What a year. A year like no other. One tragedy after the other. I was looking over some articles of the past year and so much has happened. You know, you forget about stuff and stuff that's happened at the beginning of the year. It seems like 10 years ago. I found it uh, uh, amusing, interesting uh, that the movie uh, Parasite actually won the best Oscar, or the Oscar for the best film in February. And I wonder if that was for Shad. Some people actually joked about this year um, really being a bad writing session. We had all kinds of stuff going on, uh, locust swarms in Africa, fires in Australia. Remember the murder hornets? It's like they, they started They said, no, it's a bad idea. They scratched it. This pandemic hit, and everything shuts down, and we actually run out of toll. I really honestly did not think that ever until this year, that, as a pastor, I would spend a great deal of time hunting down toilet paper for elderly people who were unable to get out and hunt it for it themselves. Did not think that's something that a, a, a service uh, that I would provide as a pastor, but I did. <clears throat> went all over, all the shutdowns, businesses shut down, workers, people out of work. After all after all that year and looking to the next year I thought what is this sermon gonna be? What should the sermon be about? If we turn if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to Numbers chapter twenty one. Verse, begin verse 4. So, something happens. The Israelites are, are away from Egypt. And uh, verse 4 they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became, became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Saying, Why do you let us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Lots, lots of complaining against God. Then the Lord sent, the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take away Take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then God did something interesting. Verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on the pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. And then, if you, so there's that story, this, 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 God said, make a snake on a pole. Whenever anyone been by a snake, and they're about to die. They're suffering. They're in pain. They're going to die. There's no antidote. And look at the snake. And, and, and they're saved. They're recovered. They're healed. And then if you fast forward to John, the book of John, chapter 3, Jesus said something interesting. Verse, uh, beginning of verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world, that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone Who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This then is a judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth and comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. This serpent, this, this brass serpent for thousands of years before Christ symbolized and represented Jesus, who paid the price and calls us now to Him. My best friend in... in um, in Phoenix in high school. His name was Mel. We both met in the fall of 1988. And uh, we were very close like brothers the four years in high school. And and of course, at the time I turned 17, I, I, I surrendered to Christ and our paths began to diverge. But we stayed connected on and off over the years. And, and Mel like, liked me, but didn't like Jesus. He wanted nothing to do with anything religious. Well, I finally came down to... Um, he was going through his second divorce. And he came to me for support. And I gave him the best of everything, in I that I have, and that's Jesus. Seriously, the absolute best, everything I own, everything I know, the best is Jesus. And I tried to give him Jesus, and and he got mad at me for being uh, constantly being religious. And he blocked me on Facebook and and stopped texting me. He rejected Christ. That was the best I have, though. Why is that the best I have to give a hurting friend? Because the reality, the one truth that I know in this world... The one thing that I want to proclaim as we leave this year and go into the next, our motto that I want to be for 2021, that Jesus, Jesus Christ changes lives. One of my favorite songs, Jesus Saves, sung by Greg Long, now there's Tons of Jesus saved songs out there. But I, I like Greg Long's one of my favorite versions. And it goes, there's a, there's a man in southern Haiti who's got a call to reach a loss. He's schooled in his theology and all the meanings of the cross. He sees a world that's dying, knows the one thing left to say is wrapped up into simple words that are never going to change. I think it's time we put aside things that only cloud the mind. It's enough to speak the truth. Take a look. You'll see what it is that sets us free. As simple as it seems, nothing says it better than Jesus saves. Those words are proclaimed around the world constantly. The, number, the, the sun never sets on those words. All around the world, words. All around the world, people in cities and in small villages are proclaiming this reality that Jesus saves. Jesus saves is displayed in bright neon colors on a cross at um, Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago. Pacific Garden Mission has been uh, uh, producing a radio program since 1950. It's the longest-running radio drama in history. During, that, during the past 70 years, they have shared more than 3,600 testimonies of people's lives who have been radically changed by Jesus Christ in this program called Unshackled. By the way, there's a really neat app they have now where you can go through and listen to a bunch of old stuff. It doesn't go all the way to 1950, but I'm sure they're working on that. That'd be a lot. More recent uh, stories include a man by the name of Matthew Karchner who battled homosexuality, drugs, and alcohol, or Pat who, who battled who suffered abuse and suicidal thoughts. Or Stafford Braxton, who who dealt with mental health challenges and pornography and the shame that uh, always goes along with pornography. Amy Blackwell, who dealt with backsliding and perfectionism and divorce and and abortion. And Brian uh, Vinikus, who who dealt with drugs and rage and unforgiveness. All these people and 3,600 more told just by this one organization that one truth that Jesus saves. God has always wanted a close relationship with us. Did you know that? Look in Genesis and in the story of Adam and Eve and, and God is, In the very beginning, before the sin, God would visit with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening and walk What can you imagine doing that? Walking with God and conversing with Him. That's the relationship God wanted with us. But sin separated us, created this gap between us and God. Has sin separated you? Maybe as you listen to this or listen to the podcast right now as you're listening, maybe you, you're dealing with a cold heart Pastor I, John, I don't feel the same passion for God that I used to. I don't really care anymore. Maybe your devotional life hasn't what it's been used to what it was once was. Or maybe it's non existent, or maybe your church attendance is rare or non existent. 2021 can be a year of knowing God on a personal level and a year of spiritual victory like you've never seen before. It can be a year of miracles, insight, restoration, joy, forgiveness, and healing but it's up to you. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Cleansing Both of these refer to the both the works of grace. Cleansing your hands, uh, coming to Christ, confessing your sins, being saved, and purifying your hearts, is receiving of the Holy Spirit and, and sanctifying your soul. You know, three things need to happen for spiritual formation. For spiritual formation to occur in our hearts and lives, we must, number one, have a renewed mind. Two, have spiritual training, and three, participate in a Christian community. So ask yourself, what proofs do we have of a renewed mind? That we're just not going through them. So many, just go through the motion, just come forward, say the words, doesn't mean anything on the inside they just go through the motion and there's no inward transformation so how do we know what proofs do we have now i mentioned before people often cry and there was a question about does it always have to be tears shed i said no there's there's always exceptions i get i haven't personally experienced it but I, i'm sure there have been people who've come to christ and not shed one tear But most of the time it is. Most of the time you have tears, including uh, a buddy of mine, Scotty Ray, who was with a bunch of tough army guys running in Kuwait during Desert Storm when he gave his heart to the Lord. He said, hot tears is pouring down my face. But it's not always the case. But there are things... Questions you can ask yourself to kind of do a self-check, a self-assessment. Number one, what do I do in secret? Do I, you know, portray myself as one way on the outside and in secret when no one else is looking except God? Do I behave in a different way? Number two, is there real repentance? Am I turned away from the sin in my life? More than just feeling sorry for it, am I changing my mind? Number three, do I love, do I have a love and trust for Christ? Do I love him? Do I care about what he thinks about me? Do I want to please Jesus? And do I trust him to take care of things for me? Or do I feel like I need to constantly take things, matters in my own hand because I just can't trust God to take care of business? Number four, do I love people? Number five, am I surrendered to God's word? When I read something in the Bible and it strikes my heart, do I think, okay, I need to change my behavior or do I just dismiss it? On what are my thoughts focused? What, where does your mind go? Is there, is there sin in your thoughts? Number seven, are my idols being eradicated in my life or do I still put things before God Constantly. Number eight, do others see changes in me? You know, it's a real good sign if you've got friends who who have no interest in serving God if they start complaining about your behavior. That's a real good sign. They think you're getting too... If they accuse you of being a fanatic, if they think, accuse you of being too religious, like okay to go to church, but you don't have to do all that stuff. Or... So that's proofs of a renewed mind. What about proofs of spiritual training? Well, are you spending time reading? understanding, meditating on and applying God's Word? Are you actively putting off sin in your life? The Bible talks a lot about taking stuff off and putting it on. It's an action on our part, it requires thought and effort on our part. So we, we put off sin, and also on the other side, are you putting on righteousness, righteous acts? Are you reading Christian books that inspire you to live a life more pleasing to God? You really should. You should read. If you're married, you should read a marriage book at least once a year. I encourage people, couples, to do that. If you're a Christian, you should read a good Christian book at least once a month. Something that encourages you, inspires you. Now, that's just my opinion. That's, I have no scriptural basis for, for number of books per year that you must read. But if it's done, maybe you can shoot for one this next year. That's proofs of spiritual training. What about proofs of participation in a Christian community? Are you going to church that preaches the truth? Are you going to a church that preaches the truth? Are you attending whenever the doors are open? We have people here that I love them very much, but they always seem to have a reason why they're not in church. And I see them. I see them around town. I, oh, Pastor Darrow, I'd love to. I, And I have somebody who's never actually been in our church. But she talks about it once in a while. And and she, you know, so we'd love to see you. And she, oh, if if I feel up to it, I haven't been feeling well. Are you making friends in church or are you a wallflower? A lot of people... We'll just come to church and just be there and never interact or connect with other Christians, which is the whole purpose of church. We need each other. That's why we have churches. We need each other. You can't be a Christian by yourself. Because what happens is over time, the, the devil gets you to rationalize things, and to you, oh, that makes perfect sense. And you're completely off track and you have no idea. That's where Christian brothers and sisters help. They say, hey now, I love you, but it was like when I was a new Christian at God's Bible school and I loved Jesus, but I still had an attitude problem. I grew up in Phoenix. Everybody had an attitude problem. Everybody that I hung out with. And I had no idea that I had a, a problem until one of my friends said, "Hey, Daryl, I love you, brother, but you have an attitude problem." And and and, front, and I, my eyes were open. I realized, whoa, he's right. I need to fix that. That's what. That's why we have churches. Did you know that? Do you just talk about you know judging one another and and taking the tree out of your own eye before you remove a splinter from your brother's eye? Did you notice he didn't say, "Don't try to remove the splinter." out of your brother's eye. He said, first, remove that tree that everybody can see, and even you can see, Go remove that from your life, then you'll be able to see clearly enough to help your brother remove a splinter from his eye. We need one another. Are you praying for others in your circle? You're praying for? I hope you guys are praying for me. I'm praying for all of you. I need your prayers. And I hope you're praying for one another. Are you, pr- are you looking for ways to support others in your circle? Finding needs in people in our church, in our community, our friends, loved ones. Those are proofs of participation in Christian community. I mentioned my friend Mel. The devil will try to get you to He did to get you sidetracked. Off kilter. he going do whatever he can to to keep you from knowing the truth. One of the last times I talked to Mel was a series of text messages that I've saved. I was trying to share, I just shared the gospel with him. And, And he said, all I know is I've always done what I believe to be right in my heart for this family and fellow man. And I responded, but you haven't always done right. None of us have. That's the problem. We screwed things up when we decided to sin against a holy God. So how does a perfectly holy and just God deal with it? Someone has to pay the penalty. The answer? God would pay it. Is that not the coolest thing ever? All we have to do is accept God's gift. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If we repent of our sins and accept Jesus as the Lord of our life, God will save us from the penalty of those sins and enter into a relationship with us. Jesus said, come to me, everyone who is tired and carrying a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. And he responded with, I just won't gripe anymore and just accept that this is the card I was dealt and deal with it until I don't have to deal with it anymore. And I said, but what I'm trying to tell you is that God wants to give you a new deal. You don't have to settle for the hand you were originally dealt. And then he responded, eh, I'm used to settling. This is the way it's supposed to be. I just haven't figured out why yet. And I said, it's not true. It's not supposed to be this way. There is much, there's a much better way. All you have to do is surrender your life to God. And he responded with, been there, done that. And the conversation went downhill from there. What I found eerie about this conversation, it is very, very similar to a dialogue in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. In the book, if you haven't, it's one of the books that I mention a lot. It's an allegory of sorts, and and, and it's about a bunch of ghosts that take a trip to heaven. And um, in this scene, you have the spirit who's representing a person who's been saved, and is also a former friend of the ghost. Okay? Look at me now, said the ghost, slapping its chest, but the slap made no sound. I've gone straight all my life. I don't say I was a religious man. I don't say I had no faults, far from it. But I've done my best all my life, see? i done my best by everyone. That's the sort of chap I was. I never asked for anything that wasn't mine by rights. If I wanted a drink, I paid for it. And if I took my wages, I'd done my job. See, that's the sort I was, and I don't care who knows it. To me, that's so similar to what my friend was saying. And, and I'm, I'm like, oh, my word. The devil will do whatever he can to keep us from God. He'll use excuses, discouragements, bitterness, distractions. These are all things I've seen just in 2020. People always have excuses. Why they're doing what they shouldn't be doing. They're discouraged. I have people tell me, oh, it's just so hard. I've just given up. Bitterness. I had one, one man who, who was mad at, at someone, mad, mad at another man, and I said, if you don't forgive him, God's not going to forgive you. That's what the Bible says. And he said, I don't care. That is a dangerous comment. Very dangerous Distractions, always a distraction, things in your life, games, entertainment, anything to keep you from thinking about God or your relationship with him. Let's do 2021 differently. Hmm? God wants to restore what is broken in your life. Did you know that? In 1873, a man by the name of Lachlan and his daughter, uh, Flora, lived together. Flora was a young woman. Several years ago, her, probably during her teenage years or preteen years, her mother had passed away and the father had raised the girl by himself. During her teenage years, she fell into uh, trouble, fell into sin. Her father was a stern man. Never was one for showing affection to his daughter. They had a lot of fights about her behavior. And one day, the father came home to find the daughter gone, and she left him a letter that said this. Dear Father, when this reaches you, I will be in London and not worthy to cross your door. Do not be always angry with me and try to forgive me for you will not be troubled anymore by my dancing or dressing. Do not think that I will be blaming you for you have been a good father to me and said what you would be considering right but it is not easy for a man to understand a girl. Oh, if I would had my mother, then she would have understood me and I would not have crossed you. Forget poor Flora's foolishness, but you will not forget her, and maybe you will still pray for me. Take care of the geraniums for my sake, and give milk to the lamb that you called after me. I will never see you again in this world, or the next, nor my mother. Then I think that there will be no one to look after you. When I think that there will be no one to look after you, And have the fire burning for you in winter nights. I'll be rising to come back. But it's too late. Too late. All the disgrace. I'll be bringing on you in the glen. Your unworthy daughter. Flora Campbell. The man was heartbroken. He was angry. Now that brokenness. In anger he, he took his Bible and in the front of the Bible back in the day they used to, to put the family tree there and list all the family members in the family in the in the front of the, the big family bible and he blotted out her name. He's no longer my daughter. That didn't last long. And soon he, he'd come to regret that brash action. And his heart broke for her. And he longed to see her return. And everyone in town saw his grief and commented how he physically he was looking different. He wasn't the same man. And a family friend named Margaret wrote a letter hoping to reach Flora. Tried to encourage her to come home. And the father, uh, of course Margaret, uh, didn't just do this on her own. She made sure that, that, that Lachlan knew what she was doing. And so he knew she sent the letter. And his hope began to rise that she would come home. And he thought to himself... She may come home at night. So I want to make sure that, that she uh, have a lamp burning so she can find her way home. And so he went and found a lamp that he didn't really use and he cleaned it up and trimmed the lamp and he went and got from his library two books, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God and, and a book called On the Divine Sovereignty and he took those two books and stacked them together and on top of those two books, he had the family Bible with that, where her name had been blotted out, and he used those two books in the Bible as a stand for this lamp that he had burning every night, waiting for her return. One night, Flora was walking the dark streets of London, in despair, suicidal feeling like there's no hope and and just decided to sit down and rest next to a church an empty dark church building she sat down and fell asleep and sometime later she woke up to music and she realized there were people in the church and they were singing the song there is a fountain filled with blood And she was drawn to it and she walked through the doors and sat in the back of the church and heard the sermon preached by the preacher and it happened to be on the prodigal son. And the preacher during the very beginning of the sermon said these words, You are missed. And those words, You are missed, rang in her ears the entire Time the sermon was being preached, and she longed to come back home. And she thought to herself, Does God miss me? Perhaps even God misses me. So perhaps I'll see a sign and I'll know that God misses me. And she went back to her room and she found this letter written by Margaret talking about her broken-hearted father who longs for her return. She knew that was God, and she made her way back home. And as she was walking down the path of the house, she turned around the bend and saw the house up the hill, and, and her heart went into her mouth as, She saw the kitchen window ablaze with light lighting the path to the house. And at first she worried that her father was ill and and then she realized that he was keeping a light burning for her. And when she got to the door... She went to knock, but she could hardly find the strength. She couldn't find it. And she just stood there, but the dogs inside heard her. And they knew it was her, and they began yipping excitingly. And the dad opened the door, and she had this well-prepared speech. But all she could get out of her mouth was, Father! who had never kissed his daughter, wrapped his arms around her and held her and sobbed. And then after a few moments, he got a better look at her and he realized she was not well. And so he took her to the bedroom and, and, and called the doctor and they began to Help her get better. And as she laid in bed, there were some friends, family friends near in the room with her, visiting with her. And he brought in the Bible. And he opened to the part Where he had blotted out her name. And he showed her to her. And he said, I hope you'll forgive your father. And he knelt down on her bed. And he cried. And she called for a pen. And for a moment or two, she wrote in the Bible. And when she was done, her father... Looked at what she wrote in an empty space in the Bible it said Flora Campbell missed April eight April eighteen seventy-three Fell in September eighteen seventy-three. Her father fell on his neck. her father fell on her neck and kissed her. That's what she wrote. Now, the story doesn't say it, but I assume her father at that point, after reading those words, did just that, fell on her neck and kissed her. Let's do 2021 differently. God wants a close relationship with us. Are you trusting right now in the finished work of Christ? Is your hope built on His sacrifice alone? Do you enjoy the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit that you are a child of God? Do you see the fruit of saving faith in your life? If you are charged in a court of law of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Has the Lord been speaking to your heart this afternoon? Do you need to make something right? Do you need to surrender something to God? I encourage you to decide right now that you've had enough foolishness. Decide you're going to get right with God, get serious with God right now. And may this next year just be a wonderful, amazing year in the Lord. Let us stand. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. Also, we have a website, ServantsHeartChapel.org. We also have a Facebook page, so you're welcome to check us out. I'd love to hear from you, prayer requests, anything you may need. We are here for you. Have a wonderful and blessed day.